I do want to be considered a friend of Greenville Oaks. I have so many friends here. I spent 10 years preaching at the Richardson East Church in Richardson, just down the road, and always viewed this church um, as kind of one of our relatives, as a church that shared our heart, a church I could refer people to if, as they were moving up north and say, hey, you want a great church home, go to Greenville Oaks. Uh, many of uh, the folks at Richardson East have family and friends here, and we're often about the same kind of work. And so I've always been a fan of this church from my time at Richardson East. I've been blessed to know uh, many of your elders and your staff, and they are people of high character, of obvious giftedness. And I know if, if they're a reflection of who you are, uh, you're good, good people. And as Greg said, I just have a lot of really good friends here. So this is a treat for me. This is a get-to, not a have-to. I'm really excited to be with you. Uh, it's also very timely that I'm probably the one speaking to you over the next few weeks as you explore what God's doing in the world, as you look at the mission of God and how we reach out into the world. Um, that is a passion of mine, and that is something I get to experience as the vice president of programs at City Square. We're a large faith-based nonprofit downtown. Some of you might know us as Central Dallas Ministries. That's what we used to be called. Uh, we are a, a community partner, like the partners that are here today. We do a lot of the same kind of work that the partners you will recognize today do. We have over 500 units of permanent supportive housing, where we've helped people uh, that were homeless now be housed. Uh, we have a, a fully functioning public interest law firm, has four attorneys, primarily do family law. We help a lot of mamas and, and kiddos mainly. Uh, we have a medical clinic in partnership with Baylor Healthcare System with two full-time uh, Health Texas providers as well as a pediatrician part-time. Do a lot of uh, family medicine, a lot of managing of chronic diseases, trying to help people have a medical home. Uh, we do employment training. We have multiple employment training programs. Uh, we have a transition center where over 600 youth that are aging out of the foster care system come every year uh, for that transition period. We help them uh, adapt to adult living. So everything that we do in City Square for other populations, we do focus just on youth aging out of foster care. Employment training, housing, coaching, helping them become self-sufficient. We have a food pantry and a mobile summer feeding program. Our summer feeding program served over a million meals last summer in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Waco. This summer, we're going to take it national and have our first location out of Texas, and we're actually going to be doing summer food in Denver, Colorado as well. So I have a lot of employees that keep uh, volunteering for the work in Denver this summer. We do homeless outreach. We do some public policy work. You name it, we're doing it to fight poverty and to help our neighbors build community. The values of City Square are faith, justice, community, and stewardship. Um, and that has guided us as our work has expanded, and we're a pretty large outfit. Um, and that's, that's pretty costly. It costs us, we have to raise $32,000 a day to keep helping as many people as we help. And that's one of the things about this kind of work. The better you are at it, the more expensive it is. It's not like making widgets where you have a profit margin. The more need you meet, the more need emerges. And I know that's the experience of your community partners, the folks in Collin County that are doing great work. 
and they're taking great risks to help those most in need in your community. And they do it on a shoestring budget. And so for you to um, engage them, recognize them, and support them, for you to be um, human capital and possibly economic capital for the work that they do, um, it's essential for the life of their organizations. And so just on behalf of those community partners, let me say thank you because I know how important it is to them that you be involved in their work. And you've picked some great ones. And so I'm excited to get to visit with some of your community partners uh, today as well. And what I've learned in my experience both in congregational church work and in the nonprofit work is I can tell you for sure not all church work is kingdom work. But I can also tell you that not all kingdom work is church work. And so there is a lot of kingdom work going on in the community. And your partners are on the front lines of what God is doing in the world. And it's exciting that you are choosing to join them. And I know they welcome your involvement. And as you prepare for that engagement, as you enter into this season of mission as a church, I want to provide a frame for us to view that experience today. And it's going to be a, a different frame than the one traditionally churches like this have had for missions. Anybody that's grown up in churches of Christ, in really any evangelical church, has heard Matthew 28. Anybody know what Matthew 28 says? Anybody not familiar with Matthew 28? That's probably easier. It's so familiar, it even has a nickname, doesn't it? What is it? The Great Commission. You all passed the test. Good job. The Great Commission. And some people heard, go ye means go me. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That has been the mission statement of many churches before having a mission statement became cool. Before we knew we have to come up with a mission statement, that was kind of the de facto mission. Go and make disciples. And the way that was interpreted is, go baptize people into our church. And that has been a paradigm of ministry for years. But I want to change the frame a little bit and suggest to you that that's really not the first great commission in Matthew. There's actually a call from Jesus before that one, a call to go. There's actually another first great commission. And until we learn that commission, we can't really fulfill the one in Matthew 28, the second great commission. If you don't know the first Great Commission, you can't go and make disciples. All you can go and make is religious people. But there's a difference between disciples, followers of Jesus, who go with Jesus into the world, and religious people who maintain an institution of regulations and rituals and traditions. There's a difference. And we see that difference earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus is carrying out his ministry, and he calls one to be a disciple, to come with me, hang out with me, follow me as I go into the world. He calls a guy named Matthew. Matthew's all about the money. 
Matthew's an accountant, a tax collector. And tax collectors aren't known in this day and age for having the best business practices. And he's called this money guy to come and be a follower of Jesus. And then right after that call, we see this dinner scene. And Jesus is hanging out and having a meal. And it's a meal that really bothers the religious leaders. It really bothers the Pharisees and the scribes, those who are in charge of the church of the time. It really discredits Jesus in their eyes because he hangs out with the wrong people. And so he must be guilty by association because religious leaders are of the highest moral character and standing and they only hang out with good righteous folk and they distance themselves from those of the world. So why is this guy that's supposedly one of us, a religious leader, a teacher of the law, why is he hanging out and eating with tax collectors and sinners. If he were the real deal, he would excuse himself from that table and not be seen in the presence of those kind of people. This is a scandal. And so the religious leaders begin to ask Jesus' followers about this. What's up with this? And, and Jesus overhears it. He makes two brief comments. The first one is, sick people need a doctor, not healthy people. I came here to be a doctor to the sick. And that statement in and of itself is a paradigm shift for religious communities. To expect that followers of Jesus, that communities gathered around Jesus would be full up with sick people. Jesus said, you know, it's foolish to think that those kind of folks wouldn't be around me. That's like going to a hospital and saying, man, why are all these sick people in here? And how foolish is it to convene a group and say, this is a hospital for the well. You want to bed in here? You can't be sick. Those who gather around Jesus are those who need healing. Those who need to be made whole, need to be made well. Jesus says, why not? Why wouldn't I be hanging out with my peeps? And then he says, if you don't understand this, you need to go back to school. You need to go and learn this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The religious leaders are confused. Right after that encounter, John's followers join in with the Pharisees and say, why is it that we fast, that we obey the religious laws to the letter of the law. And you guys don't fast. And that line of questioning continues as we move through Matthew to Matthew 12. There's another encounter. And this time, 
Jesus and his disciples are going through cornfields on the Sabbath. And the law says you don't work on Sabbath. But they're hungry, and so they pick grains to eat. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders say, that's not how you do religion right. That's not what makes a good religious person. People know who we are by our adherence to the right ways, doing the right things the right ways, and that's wrong. We caught you. If you're the real deal, you would know nobody works on the Sabbath, but yet you pick grain. What's up with that? And Jesus says, if you're disoriented and confused by this, you need to go back to school. And you need to learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How can Jesus be a legitimate religious leader when he fails our expectations of moral purity and of right religious practice? He says, if you want to know why, here's the first great commission. Go and learn mercy. And the passage that he quotes in both these stories, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It comes out of the book of Hosea. It's a word from the prophet Hosea. As the people of God find themselves in exile, They have strayed from God. They are distant from God. They have lost God's favor, and they want to know why. And they think it must be because they're not doing church right. And if we'll get all the religious sacrifices shored up, and if we'll make sure we're doing church right, surely God will shine favor on us again, and we will get out of this mess we're in. And Hosea says, no, 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 no. What has distanced you from the heart of God is your unwillingness to be about the things that God is about, the things that God cares about, mercy, justice, peace. I have given you a way of life that restores people, that makes communities whole, that takes care of the poor and the broken and the needy, and you have defied that way of life. And you are distant from me, not because of what you do or don't do on Sundays, but because of what you do or don't do the other six days of the week. I desire mercy, not religious ritual and sacrifice. And mercy is not just feeling bad for somebody that's got a tough go. Man, let me show you some mercy. I feel bad for you. It's not just letting somebody off the hook that's busted. Caught you, but I'm not going to punish you this time. I'm going to show mercy. No, mercy is more than that in this case. It is a pursuit of covenant love. It is a pursuit of justice, of shalom, as the Old Testament talks about, of a way in which the world is whole and right and people treat each other well. That pursuit of God's justice, of God's peace, of God's mercy, of chesed, 
as the Hebrew text says, steadfast love. That is what Hosea and Amos and Micah and all the prophets are telling God's people in exile. God doesn't care as much about your religious practices as he cares about how we treat one another as a society. I desire mercy, wholeness, community, not right religious ritual. So don't make your church services right. Make your communities right. And this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees and the scribes, and they do not like it one bit. And after the second encounter where he says, you need to go learn mercy, they start plotting his demise. And Jesus had a terrible PR director because he just starts poking the bear. Towards the end of Matthew, he goes into this series of woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a whole camel. And we know the rest of the story. The religious leaders and the scribes will refuse to learn mercy. And Jesus will pay for it with his very life. But for us today, class can be in session. We can choose to be open where the scribes and Pharisees are closed. We can go and learn mercy. We can hear the call of the first great commission. Because Jesus seems to suggest that until you learn mercy, you can't make disciples. You might only be able to make more scribes and Pharisees. See, religious people can know Scripture backwards and forward. Religious people can tend to moral purity and right religious ritual. And they will not tolerate it getting out of line. But Jesus says, I will never allow religion to be more important than the needs of broken people. And I will never let that be an excuse to turn a blind eye to a hurting world. It is never okay for religious folks to see brokenness in the world and say, man, can't address that. We've never done things that way before. Or, 
This is the way we were taught to do things the right way. We're going to stick to that, regardless of what it means for those hungering for God's mercy and an experience of God's steadfast love. Jesus says, I will never let that pursuit of purity trump any opportunity for God's love to reach broken people. And so if sharing my love with broken people means hanging out at a party with tax collectors and sinners, I'm there. If it means picking grain on the Sabbath, we'll do it. But we will learn and we will teach and we will embody mercy above all else. And it's that experience of God's love interacting with hurting, broken people that teaches mercy to us and to the world. And here's the irony. Mercy converts people much more effectively than religion. But the Pharisees couldn't see that because they knew Scripture and they knew religion. But they wouldn't allow themselves to experience the healing love of God. That's why your focus is so important. That's why what you are doing over these coming weeks matters so much. Because you are choosing to learn mercy. You are choosing to be disciples. And it's in that engagement in the world, it's in that experience you will have with community partners that you will learn mercy. Your community partners spend most of their days making friendships, breaking bread with tax collectors and sinners. They spend most of their time on the front lines of where people's brokenness and God's healing love intersect. And you have a chance to join them in that. And it will be an experience of God's mercy. It's one of the blessings of the work we do at City Square. It's one of the things I've seen. We have a partnership with Abilene Christian University. And in addition to my role as vice president of programs, I'm also the liaison to ACU, and I help ACU programs get embedded into City Square programs. So we're dealing with, you know, troubled at-risk students like Caleb Orr, you know. He, He was up at our place this past week. Gifted students like that who are getting to change the world now, not just when they get a diploma. And they're getting to study in the midst of our work and change the world as they get college credit. And I took a group of those kids to Destination Home. It's one of our housing programs. And they met with three of our neighbors. And they got to visit with each of those neighbors about how they got into homelessness. Mr. Jones used to be a truck driver, had some medical expenses that he incurred in his family, and then he didn't have enough money to renew his trucking license. So he tried to drive under the radar for a while, but he got caught and he got fired and things continued to spiral down and he lost his housing. Mr. Drake was a respiratory therapist, lost his mom, went into depression, started drinking. 
drank his way out of a job, then drank his way out of a house and found himself broken on the streets. Miss Perry got in with the wrong crowd at a young age, took up with a guy that was a drug user and a drug dealer. When he got busted and sent to prison, she lost everything. And she spent 11 years on the streets. As she said to the kids, when you're poor, it's real easy to get in trouble. It's just impossible to get out of it once you're in it. Nobody has your back. The kids said, well, where's, where's God in this for you? Did you find God in this experience? Because the assumption is poor people are lost. The math we do in our culture is rich equals saved and poor equals lost. And so the notion is we've got to go into poor communities to take them Jesus. And what these kids found out is Jesus never left. Wealthy people may not be in poor communities, but that doesn't mean God's not there. And that doesn't mean faith isn't alive and well. And so Mr. Jones says, oh, I've always believed in God. From the time I was a little kid, he said the difference was once I became homeless, that was the only thing I owned. The only thing that was mine was my belief in God. And he said every day, Every day I would wake up and I would pray the same prayer. God, just today, give me my daily bread. Give me what I need to make it another day. I wonder where he got that prayer. I mean, poor people, they need to read the Bible or something. Does that sound familiar? And Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. They saw this man praying the Lord's Prayer. Give me my daily bread. And they saw his contentment in just getting enough to make it another day. He said, I prayed every day. Lord, just give me enough for today. And God always provided. And I prayed, God, please deliver me. Deliver me. And he said, kids, I'm here to tell you today, that is what God has done. Miss Perry said, I heard about God when I was a kid. I went to church some, and I heard about God. But I never knew God until I became homeless. And then I could sense this presence with me every day, protecting me, taking care of me. And God would show up in my life for those 11 years on the street, helping me make it one more day, one more day. She said, I knew of God until I was homeless. And she said, now kids, God and I, we're tight. We're good. And she said, kids, to this day, there are times when in the morning, I turn on my shower. And as I walk in, when that first drop of hot water hits my skin, I start singing and dancing and praying hallelujah to the Lord.
Jesus says, the first thing I want you to do is go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. On that day at Destination Home, some ACU kids learned that lesson. And it was a conversion experience. Because when you learn mercy, it makes disciples. Because as Jesus says in that Sermon on the Mountain, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. God bless you in this journey that you're taking. For you have decided to go and answer the first great commission. You're going to go and learn mercy. And it will be a blessing to you. It will be a blessing to your community partners. And most importantly, it will be a blessing to your neighbors in Collin County. Don't ever, ever, ever let religion get in the way of discipleship. A broken world needs to be restored. And that's much more important than the concerns of the Pharisees and scribes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy.